0: Sunday Golds, another Florida State Baseball podcast, Daria Masudi and Brett Nevitt, we thank you guys for joining us. We're on Spotify and on Apple Pods, and it's been a, a interesting season for Florida State, now at 30 and 17 as we record this on Wednesday around lunchtime, and uh, Brett, uh, you went to Boston this weekend, Florida State, they, going in, they lost that Friday game, and Uh, They lost uh, to Stetson in the middle of the week, obviously. And so that stretch of baseball, not particularly impressive, but they've rebounded since and they've got themselves a four-game win streak.
1: Yeah, I mean, first two games of the week, obviously, were very disappointing. And they definitely dropped the ball and, you know, they made the rest of this way really tough on themselves, I think. But, um, you know, it seems like they're taking the approach of every game is must-win now almost um with meat and how they are approaching every game and who they're putting in certain positions um you know I thought the last two games at at BC were good I thought you know it was good to see them on Saturday come through in some big spots and then I thought Sunday the energy was very good and you know they just got the start from Bryce that they needed and um you know they get a beginning and then you know Tuesday you know obviously not the prettiest of wins but to, to get two wins against Jacksonville and to get two one run wins. Those are two things that you've really struggled to do in the last two years. Um, so, you know, no complaints about how, how Tuesday went. And um, those are two huge wins for Florida state, I think going into this home stretch of the season.
0: Now, without a doubt. And and look, you know, um just trying to keep it honest with Florida state fans and Brett and I have tried to do that all year. Uh, Florida State really hurt themselves last week when losing to to Stetson and Boston College. Those were uh, teams that this late in the season, you really can't afford losses to if you want to host a regional, Um, especially when you look around and at the rest of the country and and you're kind of now starting to hope that they falter a little bit, right? Especially in the ACC where probably only five teams are going to get hosting spots. And so uh, you're rooting for somebody to – maybe lose some games down the stretch. Um, And certainly now you need a hot finish, but credit the guys for winning two out of three at Boston college. They could have laid down. And I know that Saturday game got interesting uh, for Florida state before they had that late surge in the, in the later innings. And um, Sunday, they took care of business, but um, they're now behind the eight ball. And so we'll talk about it and what they need. And, And I know we've got some questions on Twitter from some fans and, uh, Miami provides a big opportunity, so we'll break down the, that series as well. But, uh, Brett, uh, let's let's talk about some themes throughout the, the past couple of weeks. Obviously, Parker Messick has continued to pitch at a high, high level. Um, but we're starting to see Wyatt Crowell emerge as a, a very reliable option out of the pen. And um, when you have that kind of weapon, almost like the way that they used Jack Anderson last year um, to come in and, and be able to go three or four innings in relief, Um Obviously, you know, to Crowell, much more projectable when it comes to big league stuff. And uh, when you have a lefty 95 like that, who has a wipeout slider, um, good things can happen. But he's also shown you, I think, some mental toughness coming in and pitching at a high level.
1: Yeah, I mean, earlier in the year, they kept going to Wyatt and he struggled a bit. Um, And, you know, I know a lot of people were frustrated that they kept going to him out going to him over, over and over again. But, you know, I think we had been saying that this team needs Wyatt because Wyatt is, he has the stuff to be that dominant back end guy. Um, you know, now he's shown that he can do it in in lengthy, um, outings as well. I think three straight times he's gone three or four innings. Um, and, you know, they really like him in that piggyback roll off Carson. I think they're going to stick him there and then have him throw, you know, once in the midweek, um, You know, don't know exactly what that would look like for a regional if he'd only be a one-time guy, but, um, you know, when Wyatt's name is called, he's been really good recently. I think since March 29th, he has a 0.77 ERA over 23.1 innings. Um, you know, he's only allowed two earned runs and he's only allowed 17 base runners struck out 31 guys. Um, I think he's also picked up four wins in that span. Uh, when he's in the zone, he's just, he's just unfair. There's not really many other ways to put it. Um. Fastball slider is really all he need mo- needs most of the time. Um, I mean, that slider is just it's it's insane. It's it's one of the best pitches, I think, in, in the conference. And um, when he's getting the fastball in under guys' hands, uh, it's really not you don't have much of a chance against Wyatt. Um, so it's just been really good to see him attack hitters. And when he's in that attack mode, there's not many guys that are going to have much success against him. Um, so we'll see if they continue to throw him in that piggyback role. They really like how he works off of Carson's stuff. Um, you know, kind of two different looks for hitters and no one's really gotten good swings off of him after facing Carson yet. So, uh, you know, I think we'll see him again in that, in that way this weekend, um, against Miami and hopefully he keeps going the same way he's been recently.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think Carson, took a step forward as well Saturday. I thought he pitched pretty well um, for the most part as a starter on a weekend. Uh, that, that, Like you said, I think that's going to be the way Florida State goes to kind of finish out the season. And, and they always make their decisions, right? Once you get to postseason in, in a regional format, you have an opportunity again to tweak some things. And um, right now they got Bryce on Sundays and um, maybe Bryce Hubbard is back. Uh, that could be the Bryce Hubbard that Florida State needs as they head into the postseason because uh, Brett, quite simply put, Sunday, he was incredible.
1: Yeah, Bryce was that was pretty ridiculous on Sunday. Um, you know, I kind of felt like he was due for a weekend where everything just kind of clicks for him. And this was the first normal week for Bryce in a long time where, you know, he had his normal routine, his normal six days in between starts. Um, you know, he, you know, they were TBA to go into the week but pretty sure Bryce you know knew that he was going to be starting Sunday and that was going to be his routine leading up to the to the weekend um and he just had, he had everything going for him on Sunday he had all four pitches working all four for strikes uh the fastball had that extra giddy up on it, it you could you, I mean sitting down by the field you could really see it you know get that little bit of that rise effect at the end where it just rises over hitter's bats um i mean he was I think he knew it too. He knew he had everything working for him. You could kind of see it the way he was walking around the mound. He was kind of just, at some points, he was kind of just laughing and smiling, and just knew that really they didn't really have any chance against him. And that BC lineup, top five in that lineup is is is, is good. It's not, you know, they don't struggle because of their hitting. Uh, Luke Gold's going to be an MLB hitter, I think. Uh, they got a couple guys in that lineup that can really hit. But I mean, the slider, curveball, even the changeup, which he doesn't usually throw. Threw a couple of those in and got swinging misses on those two. Um, just had everything going for him. I really think he could have had a complete game shutout, but you know they wanted to get a couple guys in there to get some feel and get some work in with a big lead. But I mean that was everything and more you could ask for from Bryce. And you know I think that's the Bryce that when he's on he can be that pretty much every time he goes out there because not many guys in the country in college baseball that have you know, the pitches that he has, the repertoire that he has, um, and the fastball that he has, I mean, it was, it was back to being that invisible that he likes. And I mean, Bryce is seven and one on the season. Now I know he had that five week stretch, you know, where he was kind of, you know, mediocre and not the Bryce that we expected, but at the end of the day, Bryce gives them a chance to win every time he steps in the mound and can't really ask for much more than that.
0: No. And I think, you know, in Florida State's at it's best Brett. They've got a one-two punch. That's Arguably the best in the country, and now you've got Parker Messick. I think ERA of like two five seven and um, two, uh, two five six for Parker and two six nine for Bryce, and that's incredible. So you're a combined thirteen and three on their starts, and could be even better than that. Quite honestly, if you know if the offense is a little more consistent. Uh, so Bryce Hubbard, good job. Seven innings, shutout baseball, and then double digit strikeouts. And uh, I think what impressed me the most, too, Brett. Um, for him was the fact that Bryce didn't walk anybody, you know, he had that one hit by pitch, but if Bryce can stay in the zone and not give up those free passes, that changes everything for him.
1: Yeah. And I think Bryce only had one three ball count through the first six innings Hit a couple in the seventh that both went to full counts, but he won both of those Um, retired the last seventeen hitters he faced. I mean, I don't think anyone in the country would have had a chance against him on Sunday. It was just, it was that good. It was it was quite ridiculous how good he looked on Sunday. And if he looks like that moving forward, um, FSU is going to win a lot of series.
0: No doubt. All right, well, let's pivot a little bit to the hitting and the lineup this weekend. <sighs> kind of a mixed bag. I know, you know, you and I have both talked about this isn't going to be a lineup that mashes its way to Omaha. That's, that's just not how it's built. Um, truthfully, that's just, kind of where we're at i know florida state fans have been frustrated with the lineups the past couple of years because they're used to seeing really incredible lineups right like they've got lineups usually in in florida state's history that the top six in the order all have a chance to make major league baseball or get drafted pretty high and you know the last couple of seasons you've had you've had some draftable talent but it hasn't really been cohesive one through nine in that lineup and uh, as a result you get you know, some really poor offensive games. And last week, Stetson and Boston College back-to-back, uh, that was that was as tough as it's been to watch FSU's offensive attack all season. I mean, it was just – they were getting shut down by truthfully mediocre arms. And, and I know Mancini's been better and all that, but, man, uh, you got to be able to do better than that, especially when Parker Messick pitches the way that he did on Friday – Uh, And there's no excuse for being two hit shutout at Stetson against mediocre arms. That's just, that's just facts. And then again, against JU, again, Brett, the offense wasn't great. Um, They had some, some moments in that second game um, with that seven innings, but it's just right now it feels like this one through nine is too pitchable. I think a lot of teams can kind of get through it uh, without much difficulty. And so, That's something I know meat's going to have to try and and adjust. They're always tinkering and and always trying to figure out the best combination. But um, that being said, too, and and not to be too hard on them, because I do think Saturday and Sunday were a step in the right direction at Boston College, where Florida State put some big innings together as well. And truthfully, some really good at-bats by by a lot of the guys.
1: Yeah, so Friday at BC was weird. Um, I mean, you jump out early, and it felt like they had a chance to really put that game away early with Parker starting. I mean, you're up 2-0. You still got first and third with with no one out. Um, you, know, you get a, you have a strikeout and a bad bad at bat. I think it was a strikeout looking, and then you get a bad base running error. I don't know exactly what they were trying to do there. I don't know if they were trying to do the rundown play, and uh, I don't know. Um, but you know, BC threw down to third every time on first to third plays all weekend, and they got Jaime on that one. But you know, I think it was the next day that Jaime scored on one of those. Um, but, you know, the thing about Friday that was weird was it just felt like, you know, the A.B.s weren't terrible. The swings weren't terrible. But um, with the way that park was playing, I mean, it's got really big alleys to both gaps and it was cold. Um, there wasn't really any wind on, on on Friday and it wasn't I mean, it was going to be almost impossible to get any ball out of there. You would have to pull it down the line and, and really crush it. Um, and F.C. just kept flying out over and over again and. Um, And like I said, the swings weren't terrible, but just at some point you got to make an adjustment and you got to do something different. Um, anything different. You gotta, I don't know what you got to do with that, but it's just, you can't have 23 straight guys retired. I mean, they didn't have a single guy on base from the second to eighth inning. That's just absolutely zero pressure in the pitcher. And you've, you've, you've preached since you've been here that you want constant pressure on other teams and it absolutely zero pressure on, on a team for eight straight innings. Um, when I mean, you know parker was battling and parker um i mean as always is just it's just so good and such a competitor but yeah and i didn't love the bullpen management at, at, at the end of the game there but i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we still don't have any roles defined except for you know why it's going to throw on saturdays um but yeah like you said you just can't do that especially you know against a team like bc um you got to try to get into their bullpen. They don't really have many reliable arms in the pen, and you let Mancini go all nine innings, throw a complete game on you. Um, I know you only struck out four times, but that just can't happen. Um, But, you know, it was good to see them come through on Saturday. Um, You know, I don't know if they win this series if B-Rob doesn't have a two-out, two-run single up the middle in the seventh inning. That was huge for him. Um, You know, he struggled with base runners on this season but he had three rbis in this game and then alex comes through with the massive home run and that's exactly what you need from alex um good weekend for him he had three hits in that game with three rbis uh i think jaime also had three rbis that game so that was good to see him get back on track a bit um and then sunday just you took advantage of some bad pitching in the third inning and just rolled it up on them another really good day for b rob with three hits and alex had two um you know, starting to see B Rob show what he really is at the plate. I think just a really good natural hitter, really good hands can spray the ball over the field. Um, he's had a, t- he's had two really good swings that I liked, um, in hit and run situations, I think, or, you know, one was two strikes with a runner on third and one out and he kind of slapped the ball to the right side for a hit. And then Jacksonville, he had a hit and run that he perfectly executed. That was good to see. Um, you know, he didn't get much from Tibbs or carry on this weekend and still don't really know what's going on with Tyler. Um, You know, he played the last two games at BC, but, you know, didn't play either of the games yesterday. Didn't have Reese yesterday either, which made the lineup feel really, really short yesterday, Um, especially at the bottom of the order. It felt like um, JU was able to go through there pretty easily every time around. Um, But, you know, you got the job done. um, And, you know, it's only seven innings each game, so five runs. can't really knock that too much, obviously, you know, you wish he had more in the first game, but did enough to win, uh, especially with the way the bullpen threw and Jonah threw. Really good to see him do that again in a long relief effort. Um, but, yeah, overall, like you said, it's just – we just know at this point that it's it's never going to mash like crazy. It's going to – you know, at home we think sometimes on the weekends when everyone's healthy it can be right, but um, – you just have to play away good at bats, quality at bats. And if you put together quality at bats, I think you're going to get where you need to go with this pitching staff.
0: Yeah, Brett, I think Roberts now has seven hits in his last five games. And I think he's got a hit in four of the five games. Uh, so, like you said, that's someone I think we relied on coming into the year, that he had to be an instant impact bat coming in from Tennessee Tech. And, you know, he hit 350 there. Uh-huh. And, Here now he's about 280, which, yeah, you factor in some of the level of play, right? You're not at Tennessee Tech in the Ohio Valley Conference. You're in the ACC. But I think most fans thought he would hit 300 at Florida State. And maybe with this uptick, he'll end the season uh, hitting about 300 for Florida State. But that's a really talented hitter with some sneaky pop. And and we saw a mammoth home run that he hit against Boston College. Was Was that the Saturday game, I believe? It was game two. Yeah. Um, that he hit it to left field. But also another guy, I think, Brett, that I, I wanted to give a shout-out and I think is important for this team, another transfer, uh, Alex Terrell, who, who is going to get to go up against his former team so um, this weekend. But a um, couple games against Boston College, he had some hits, and it seems like the strikeouts are dropping for Alex at least over the last five or six games, and he's really going to the opposite field more, too.
1: Yeah, and I think everything about for him has just been opening up that, you know, you know, that those other two parts of the field, um, you know, middle of the field and opposite side of the field. And he's also just been much better about, you know, laying off pitches below the zone. I think I've mentioned that a couple of times because, you know, for a while there it just felt like everybody was able to throw him change-ups and he was going at them. But um, he's starting to do a better job of, of, of keeping his bat back a little bit. And we saw a couple of hits. I think he's had three hits in these last four or so games against the shift. Um, they just went right through a vacated shortstop Um, you know anyway Alex is only hitting 231 but he's got 12 doubles this year he's got 13 home runs he's driven in 41 RVIs it's all much better than he had last year in his last year at Miami in more games still Um, you know Alex really has not strike out much lately it's been good to see him fight off a lot of pitches and I mean he had what he had one, two, three, four, five straight games with no strike counts. And he had one in the last game against Jacksonville. He only has one K in his last six games. Um, and I think you had three more games that he only has three Ks in his last nine games. So it's an obvious trend in the right direction. He continues to foul off pitches that he had been swinging and missing on for a while. Um, and if Alex is putting the ball in play, he's going to impact the ball. Um, he's just that strong and especially at Hauser with the short porch and right. Um, you know, you have to feel like you have to feel good about him coming into this weekend in Miami against Miami. Um, and I really wouldn't mind moving Alex back up in the lineup because he's starting to drive in runs for you again. Um, and he's starting to become
0: reliable again in some big situations. I'm really excited about that opportunity for him. And, you know, you and I have had a chance to talk to him a couple of times this season and um, he's excited, right? Like he's pumped to play his former team. I think definitely if, if he runs into one, this weekend against the uh, orange and the green. Uh, I just, I can't wait to see how he rea- reacts and we'll see what, what, what happens. But he, he's juiced and he's amped up to play uh, the Hurricanes. Um, Brett, uh, any other themes throughout the weekend uh, that, that you want to touch on or even against JU? I thought, you know, before I throw it back to you, I thought the two wins against Jacksonville were huge. And not necessarily because they were impressive by any means, but because you could not afford to drop either one of them. And this team has shown the inconsistency at times of kind of dropping the ball. Um, and I thought they would split going into the day. And so for Florida State to get those two, I thought were massive.
1: Yeah, I thought it was huge. Um, you know, I think more so than anything, it was really good to see a couple guys throw really well. Um, Baumeister coming off that. Rolled ankle he had it at Stetson that was pretty bad. Um, and he looked really good, I thought. You know, 3.2 innings, and I think he had um five strikeouts, it was, and only one walk. Um, and you know, he just looked a little rusty after that 30 minute break after FSU had that big third inning. Um, he was on the bench for a while and then couldn't get through that fourth, but other than that, I thought Jackson looked really good. Um, you know, I know Davis gave up some. You know, the hits at the end there, but both six innings in both games comes in and, and you know, leaves the bases loaded in the second game and leaves two guys on base in this in the in the first game. Um, you know, last year Davis really struggled with inherited runners, but this year for some reason he's been very, very good at it. Um, you know, obviously it's a scare at the end of the game there and in, in the last one and you escaped, but um, you know, he came through and it mattered at least, and that's good to see. Um, and obviously Jonah was really, really good in that first game. 4.1 innings, three hits, only one walk, five Ks. Um, more so than anything, it's just good to see them, you know, not give up free passes. Um, outside of Whitaker, who we know it can throw is going to throw strikes for the most part. Um, every guy only had one walk or less. So that's just really good to see, I think, from most of the bullpen arms. And to get through 14 innings in one day with, you know, all bullpen arms, and only give them five runs, I think that you're going to take that most of the time. So um, just really good to see that for some guys that, like we said, still need to have their roles completely defined coming into this last stretch of the season.
0: Absolutely. And I think a lot of those guys are trying to prove to meat and to belly that they can be relied upon as we get towards postseason baseball. And I think you've got a number of arms in there right now. I think the depth of the bullpen is good. I really do. I mean, I wasn't the biggest fan of Davis hair coming in twice on the same day. Uh, I I don't really like starting a pitcher, getting him warmed up, throwing him. And then a couple hours later being like, can you come back out and and pitch again? And and I know like some pitchers are capable of it and their arms are it, allowing it, but like Davis also had arm injuries (laughs) like earlier this year. Like I'm not some, I know Davis would have wanted to pitch, right? Like he probably was like, yeah, I'm good. Give me the ball. But sometimes, as a coach, you got to be like, "Nah, I, I'm not. I'm not running you back out there after you've already gotten warm, thrown competitive pitches, and a couple hours later, running you back out there." But um, that was just me. I kind of scratched my head a little bit at that, um, and I get I get the situation though too, Brett, because you needed a win, and it was you're kind of in desperation mode here if you want to host a regional and you can't really afford to drop games. So at that part I understood and, and he got the job done, but I wasn't shocked that he gave up a couple runs in that second appearance, just because I didn't even think he looked as fresh as he did in that first appearance. But uh, Scalaro continues to pitch at a high level. I think that's a right. That's a kid that's gotten and caught a lot of flack. I think from Seminole faithful throughout the years. And they I think he's become kind of a scapegoat at times, um, where a run, you know, is on base and he inherits it and he gives it up because of a, a blue base hit or something like that. But three sixteen ERA in his senior season, 41 strikeouts to nine walks. And, uh, I continue to beat the drum, man. I think, I think he's a guy you could start as an opener. Like I, I really believe he excels in extended outings when it's three or four innings. And he's shown you that a couple of times this season, but a valuable arm in your pen that you can go out there and, and use in a different, uh, in a variety of ways. So um, kudos to Jonah for continuing to pitch uh, at a high level and being reliable. Um, Crowell is going to be someone, I think, Brett, that we've got to figure out how we're going to use him. I know recently it's been, use him for four innings at a time, three or four innings. But what if you don't use him on a Friday or Saturday and, and you do need him for an inning to close a game down? Do you see the team start, use Wyatt Crowell in shorter stints in higher leverage situations as we get to postseason baseball?
1: I don't know. I think, I think they like having Wyatt um... – designated for that one longer outing. But, you know, I thought it was good to see him show yesterday that he can do that when it's needed. Um, You know, I totally would be on board for, you know, having Wyatt available at any time to throw you one inning and shut a game down because, you know, I think he can do it. But um, they haven't really shown the willingness the last three weeks to do that yet. You know, you had an opportunity to go to him on Friday, but you didn't. And you know, that game ends the way it does. And then you go to him on Saturday and he threw the way he does it and wins you that game. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely think Bro he could do it. Uh, I think a lot of it, you know, still hinges on Ross too. If you can get, you know, something out of Ross out of the bullpen that you don't need Wyatt as much on an everyday basis and you can't have him for that set one day. Um, but you know if 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 is going to be an early inning guy or a midweek guy, then you're going to need Wyatt to get some lefties out in the back end of games. You're going to need Ross to get some lefties out in the back end of games. Um, and that's another reason I don't think Jonah can be dead set in stone as a midweek guy, because you're going to need him to get some lefties out on the weekend. If Wyatt's only going to throw on Saturdays. So, um, you know, it's worked for them with Wyatt on Saturdays, but I do think it kind of leaves them an arm short and kind of handcuffs them a little bit for the other games. And, um, I still think best scenario would be for a Carson or a Ross or a Wyatt, one of those guys to be just your everyday closer um, because still you haven't had, I mean, Davis has shown that he can do it somewhat, but Davis has also shown to be hittable at times. Um, you know, the Clemson grand slam after a couple errors. Um, so we'll see. I just, it still does worry me that we're still, having these conversations like we talked about last week um i wish we weren't at this point but you know that's just where we are i guess at this point so um keep plugging away and they keep throwing guys in different spots to see what they can do um some guys are showing you that they can do some things some guys are showing you that they can't um so you just gotta you gotta start to roll with guys over and over again in some spots and um you know, I think Wyatt has shown you he's the best arm in that pen and the bat, probably one of the best arms out of any pen in the country, I think.
0: For sure. What do we make of Ross Dunn?
1: Um, I don't fully really know. He looked – it's just really weird. I mean, he strikes out the first batter on three pitches and then he hits the next guy in the square of the back. Um, like, I think with Ross, everything is, is just – He's starting to get a little bit too in his head mechanically, I think. And things have slowed down for him and everything with him is about tempo and being able to go fast and just throw. And, um, you know, his curveball's just been so off and on recently where sometimes he has it automatically and there's other times he just can't land it at all and he becomes very one-dimensional. Um, you know, I think that's been the biggest issue with him recently So he's just become one-dimensional um, and he hasn't been able to, you know, throw everything the way he wants to. And more so than anything, he's just not consistently throwing you strikes. And that makes it hard to trust him in any, in any role it makes smart to trust, you know, at the back end of a game, obviously the stuff is there to be a high leverage arm, but you just can't throw guys out there that are a liability to give away free bases. Cause we've seen this year, how many times free bases will bite you at the back end of a game. Um, so I just think they need to keep plugging away with him. I don't know exactly what they'll do next week at Florida. I don't think it will be Ross starting that game. I think we won't see Ross again until a situation where FSU is either up big or down big late in the game, um, and they can throw him out there like they did on Friday against TCU a couple weeks ago when he looked really good.
0: Yeah, I think it is interesting to me that we're still May 11th, you know, today when we're recording, and we're having all these conversations about where guys fit and and this pitching staff. And so, I don't know. I hope they resolve it. The thing is right now, and and we'll talk about the regional picture and where Florida State's RPI is in just a moment, but I don't know. You're running out of time to kind of figure out who is who and and what is what, if that makes sense. Right. And
1: I I do think Dylan Simmons is starting to show you that he is, you know, can be an arm for you again. Um, I think, I think Dylan has eight straight appearances out of the pen without allowing a run. And I think it's only in 7.2 innings or something like that. But um, I mean, at this point that's not a fluky thing to me. Um, I mean, he did it at BC gives you one inning, perfect inning. Um, and he's had a couple other good outings. I think there was one longer outing that he had. I think Georgia tech, he had 1.2 innings and didn't give up a run. And he had three Ks. Um, so I think Dylan's a guy that you can throw at some point and, you know, middle relief or something like that, or, to get a right hand to hit her out here and there. Um, but still, like, yeah, like you said, there's just, just not many roles divine, defined, and it's worrisome because, I mean, like that Friday game, you go into the ninth inning and you have to use three pitchers and you've only gotten one out. Um, I would really hope in the ninth inning moving forward if in a tight game or a close game that you can go to one guy and just be like, here's the ball. We don't need other guys warming up behind you because we trust you. Um, so, I mean, I think obviously why it could be that, but like we've said multiple times, is there a willingness to do that? I don't think so. So, um, we'll just see, I guess that guy's going to be Davis, but they were unwilling to start the ninth with him on Friday last week, and he's gotten hit a little bit recently. So, um, I think you're kind of back to the drawing board a little bit with that.
0: You know, you and I have both been big proponents of Montgomery just being that closer, but they they feel very confident right now. And I think, I don't know if it's confident or if that's just what they want to do is is have Montgomery on the weekends and maybe they found something where they split Parker and Bryce, you know, and sandwich Carson in between them. And so we'll see, obviously, again, you have two weekends left, or I think the rotation plays out like that. And then once you get to postseason, I have a hard time believing like it won't be Parker Bryce in some combination um 1 2 uh, when you get to that point so we can talk about that later last thing i wanted to ask you Brett before um we look at some more big picture things and preview miami uh Colton Vincent Brock Mathis uh, again we've talked about this all year long Colton is a much much better defensive catcher not just from blocking balls in the dirt or throwdowns to second base um or anything like that is framing pitches stealing strikes his ability to, I think, even command a rotation and, and to be able to be a calming force for the pitcher on the hill. I think those are things that fans don't always see or take into account. They just look at you know, errors or pass balls and then they see a batting average. But on the other hand, and to be completely fair, Brock Mathis hits the baseball, right? Like two for three again against Jacksonville and, and had a couple RBIs. Um, the bat plays, right? And I, I do think it is a wide, wide gap between Brock and Colton offensively. Like I, I think I I know you're you might disagree with me a little bit. I as, as big of the gap is defensively between Colton and Brock, I see it offensively at times. I just I think Brock creates far more problems for opposing pitching um when he's in the lineup. The problem is you don't really have an easy answer on where to put Brock right now, right? Like at DH, you've kind of figured some things out at DH and at catcher, like you can't afford, I don't think to have Brock kind of struggle there. We saw him against Stetson struggle a little bit too. When, when he was playing in that game, I wanted your thoughts overall on, on the Colton Brock thing, because, and I promise this might be the last time we talk about it on this podcast. But it's May eleventh, and and we're towards the end of the season. So, um, where do we lie on that?
1: Yeah, I still think Brock's being used the right way um, for a spot, starting here and then here and there against um, you know a midweek opponent or you know a Sunday game with with Bryce pitching. Um, I thought we might see him on Sunday at at BC, but we didn't. Um, but you know he is starting to get some look at looks at first base for. Platoon situations, or just, you know, as backup first baseman. And, um, look, I don't think the, the gap is as big as, as maybe we think it is between, between Bryce and, I mean, not Bryce, I'm sorry, Colton and Brock at the plate either. I mean, in, in 30 at bats and ACC play, Brock sitting 200 with, with 13 strikeouts. Um, in 67 at bats and ACC play, Colton sitting 209 with 11 strikeouts. And, um, you know, Colton, I think we can trust behind the plate for the most part, especially with receiving. Um that's just the way it is gonna go with this team. I think Colton's this team's starting catcher and you know, he helps the pitchers out a lot. And, you know, I don't think Brock is is, you know, a complete liability, but Brock just at times can get loud with his glove and um he sometimes loses strike calls in, in places where where Colton's gonna get them. Um but you know, Brock is still you know, he still brings a lot to this team. And with the bat off the bench and the, the pop he has, obviously, um, just sometimes he gets long at the plate and, you know, velocity can beat him at times. Um, but he can really mash against some, you know, lower level pitching, especially against teams like JU. Um, and, you know, a couple of weeks ago, too, he had a couple of hits taken away in that TCU game um, from the cancellation. But overall, I still would think that, um, you know, Colton is this team's starting catcher. Brock's gonna get some spot start spot starts and, and, and be a good backup for you. Um and also be able to play some other places. And I think he showed recently that he has a little bit more athleticism that than you know his his size would show. Um but yeah, I think moving forward, I think Brock is I mean, Colton is still the starting catcher. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, Brett, do you want to preview some Miami? Let's talk a little bit about the Hurricanes, who are ranked, I think, as high as sixth, if I'm not mistaken. I believe D1 baseball is their highest ranking at number six and Florida State's at 21 per D1 baseball. Um, Should be a a fun series in Tallahassee where Friday night you got it at seven o'clock, Saturday, seven o'clock, Sunday noon. Um, I'll be on the call with Chip on Friday. uh, So that should be a lot of fun to have Palmquist and Messick. And then Saturday, I believe, ESPN's actually got for the first time all season announcers coming to Dick Houser Stadium to call a series and I think Saturday is on ACC Network and I believe Sunday is on ESPN2. So how about that Noles fans? You got Florida State Miami on ESPN2 on Sunday. So that's uh, that's big. All right, well when you look at this Miami Hurricanes team, they are very very good. I think you could argue it's the best team Florida State's played all year. Uh, I have my question marks about their, their postseason ability, if if that makes sense, of how deep of a run they can make in postseason. But they are a machine at times. And they've had, I think, seven sweeps this season. We always talk, Brett, on this podcast about Florida State's lack of ability to, to sweep teams at times. Miami's had no issues with it. Uh, It's a team that pitches. It's got frontline pitching. It's got a ridiculous closer. And it's got a lineup that I think is extremely balanced with pop and uh, a couple of transfers as well that have paid dividends for Gino Damare's club. And you can't argue with 35 and 12 and 17 and 7 in this conference. The ACC this year is phenomenal. And 17 and 7 is really good. Brett, they are 10 and 6 away from. Mark Lightfield down in Coral Gables. And when you look at some of these names, Palmquist, obviously the headliner on on Friday nights, but uh, Carson Ligon is going to give you a a really good chance on most Saturdays. And Sundays have been a bit of an adventure for them. They've relied on their offense that has some some really good pop, but 296 is a team and they field 972. So uh, I think you got to give Miami a lot of credit. This should be a fun rivalry at Hauser this weekend.
1: Yeah. And I mean, Miami across the board is, is, you know, it's a young and talented team this year. Um, just some crazy numbers all over the place, especially on the mound. Um, like Closer, I'm looking at, like he said, um, but a lot of young bats as well. Um, some guys that have started to pan out for them that, you know, came in last year as some highly touted kids. Yohani um, Morales was the ACC player of the week this past week. He has 11 home runs this year and is sitting 346. Um, you know, sixteen doubles as well to go with that. I believe he has forty three RBIs, six thirty two slugging percentage leads the team. Uh, a couple other guys for them at the plate: CJ Kafis, another young kid hitting three seventy five. He has five homers and ten doubles. And Jacob Burke, their center fielder, who's a really good defensive center fielder as well, um, is hitting three thirty nine with nine homers and ten doubles. Also has two triples, pretty fast around the bases. Um, I believe he has eight stolen bases this year. Uh, they don't run a ton, but they do have, you know, a good group of four or five kids that are capable of it. Um, Dominic Patelli is also another one. I think two eighty one. Maxwell Romero is their catcher. He's a bandy transfer. He's got some pop in the bat with nine home runs. Um, you know, I think he had a three home run game this past summer that I was at um, with three absolutely no doubt bombs to the pole side. Um, so he's a guy that at any moment in Hauser, especially can, can put one over the fence. Um, and so at the plate as a team, I think they're hitting 296, 96, a 84 OPS, um, 66 home runs as a team. Um, they do a little bit of everything at the plate, um, discipline team for the most part. Uh, so it's going to be a tough task for FC's pitchers this, this upcoming weekend. Um, and hitting too, it's the, on the mound. I mean, they're, they're a pretty complete team overall.
0: Without a doubt, and I'm, again, I'm excited for for being able to do play by play Friday because Carson Palmquist, Brett, you could argue that this is—I mean, this might be the best Friday arm Florida State's gone against, at least in terms of effectiveness. Now they've gone, they've had some really good ones this year, and, and so by no means am I saying definitely the best, but 2.95 ERA, 92 strikeouts in 64 innings, just 20 walks, batters hitting 2.31. Um, they have he has given up 11 home runs, so that. That could be something to keep an eye on uh, at Hauser and a, a hitter friendly park, but um, that's a kid you know and we can talk about the Friday matchup first, Brett before we talk about the other two and we'll combine the Saturday Sundays, but um, that's a kid that's going to be drafted in the top five rounds of this year's MLB draft fastball could be you know up to ninety five but sits about ninety to ninety three and a lot of people compare him to Chris Sale in terms of just the arm slot, the emotion. He's almost sidearmed, and it's a a closer turned into a Friday night starter that has gone really successful for Miami.
1: Yeah. For, I mean, most part, is, as a starter, his basketball is in the low 90s, but play up from the slot, as you mentioned. Um, I mean, it basically is sidearm, um, maybe low three-quarters, but um, change-up is probably his best pitch. Which helps him get a lot of righties out. Um, and 83, 84 It's a plus pitch, especially for a college pitcher, and um, really tough, tough out of that slot. And it plays well off of off the fastball. Kind of just nose dives off that. Um, also has a bit of a sweeping slider at seventy seven, seventy eight. Um, that will give trouble to the left-handed hitters. I would guess Florida State would probably mostly load up with righties. Um, I don't know if they'll do it as heavily as they did on you know that second game on Tuesday against Ju. Uh, I think Reese Albert will be in the lineup. I believe he'll be back this weekend. Um, was unavailable yesterday due to, you know, a family matter. Um, but I think he's expected back this weekend. Um, but, yeah, Palmquist is going to be as tough as a test as anyone. Just it's been around the college game for a while, and he's done a lot of different things now. Known, knows how to get a lot of hitters out. Um, strikes out a ton of hitters, 92 Ks in 64 innings. Um, does have 20 walks and, like you mentioned, 11 home runs is the place he's been bit the most and probably where he's given up most of his runs. Um, so I think FSU will probably be trying to lift some balls up in the air against him uh, more so than anything. I think they'll be trying to get his pitch count up um, and not face him up, not face him for a super long time. They did have success against him last year in the ACC tournament. And I think he only threw one inning against them in that weekend where FSU blew them out. Um, so FSU, they do have a couple guys with some at bats against him, but not too many. Um. So it's going to be tough. I, I don't love the matchup of Palmquist coming in to Tallahassee.
0: Yeah, I think he's given up two earned runs in his last 18 and a third innings pitched, and in that time he struck out 23 guys to uh, listen to this Brett one walk in his last 18 innings. So um, he's he's a bonafide fide Friday night ace, and he's a big reason why Miami's 35 and 12 is they win a lot of Friday games. Luckily. I said he's one of the best pitchers in the ACC. Uh, You have the best pitcher in the ACC and maybe in the country going for you Friday night. Uh, Brett, I know I don't like to do stuff like this because a lot of things can happen and you never know, but there is a really decent chance that Friday night is the final time Parker Messick pitches at Dick Houser Stadium. Like that's real. And that, that, entered my head earlier this week that if FSU doesn't host a regional Friday night's it because Parker Messick is going to get drafted extremely high and needs to start his pro career at the, at, in the summer. But uh, has that, has that crossed your mind at all yet? And uh, what better way, if this is the final time for Parker Messick at Hauser to do it against the Miami hurricanes?
1: Yeah, I mean I don't think they I don't think it's setting up any better for Parker. Um it does suck to think about it a little bit. I mean it's just they wake up on Fridays and you just you know what you're gonna get. Uh you know you're gonna get a competitor and a bulldog, and you know you're gonna be in that game every single every single week, which is such a luxury for any college team. Um he's just I mean, he's four pitches for strikes. You just you just never know what's coming from Parker, righty lefty. You just he can change it up at any time, do anything he need, he needs to do to get any hitter out. Um, and more so than anything, it's just it's it's the player that he is that that makes him as good as he is. He's just you just know you're gonna get fight out of him, and you just can't ask for much more than that. And I mean, I, I I'm really looking forward to this start for him. Um, you know, I feel like. It's gonna be a packed Hauser and it's gonna be a pretty good environment on Friday night. And um, you know, I know Parker's probably already looking forward to it. And um, man, I hope it's not the last one in Hauser for him. But I think he's gonna come in with 28.2 scoreless streak at Hauser. Um, so hopefully that keeps going. We'll knock on wood going into
0: the start. Yeah. And again, I really hope for Florida state and then and those kids and, and for Parker that they get a regional in Tallahassee, but you know how you do that, Brett, you win this series at home that that would be a major feather in your cap. And so Parker Messick against Carson Palmquist is appointment television. I think it's, it's maybe the best matchup in college baseball this weekend, or at least for one given day on that Friday night. And so Florida State's going to have its work cut out for it. But Saturday, you've got – do you expect Carson Montgomery to go again? At least this is the way Florida State will end the regular season is Montgomery against – I believe we'll have Carson versus Carson, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Carson Ligon.
1: Yeah, I think – I would expect them to stick with that for the most part um, because I think they want to keep Bryce on the same schedule still. Um, Yeah, and I think Ligon for them, the freshman – Saw him a few times in, um, you know, a couple summers ago. And I think there's some kids in this roster that are pretty familiar with him. You know, I think Jaime Ferrer has faced him before in high school um, or in travel ball side of things. Um, so I think that would be a good test for Carson. Obviously, uh, probably the biggest start of his career today. Uh, you know, I know he's had a couple of Florida starts, but I don't think anything compares to Miami on a weekend at Hauser, um, especially if last regular season start of the year like you mentioned, I thought, I thought Carson was very good on Saturday at BC. I thought he threw, I thought he was throwing with conviction. Um, only one walk, um, thought everything looked good for the most part. Um, didn't get much help from his defense or the score for that, for that matter. Um, but you know, I think Carson moved in the right direction with that start. I think more so than anything with Carson, if he just attacks his zone um, and pitches with conviction, then, um, he's going to be in a good place. And, you know, at least give you a quality start. Carson's not the type of arm that I don't think ever is going to, if he's throwing strike that he's going to, you know, get, get absolutely, you know, I don't think any team's ever really going to crush him just off his stuff alone.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is Carson Montgomery can be dominant, right? Like we could see, we could literally see Carson being like a Friday night ACE type of performance, right? You have first round stuff, Against uh, Stetson, I think earlier this season, he was ridiculous. There have been different outings where he's come out and you're like, dang, Carson is nasty. Uh, Could he put it together this weekend against Miami? It would be a a heck of a time for that to happen. Now, uh, Lagone um, for the Hurricanes, he's been really consistent for them for most of the season. I think ERA is what, like in the mid threes, uh, strikes out a decent amount of batters. I think his fastball can get up into the mid nineties, about 93, 94. He's a big kid. Um, I want to say he's about six, four, six, five. Uh, let's see their stats. The roster says he's six, two. All right. So uh, a decent size for a kid and a true freshman, but Brett, uh, there are some major differences between a splits at home and on the road. I think his last two road starts, he's given up a combined 15 runs, 16 hits and just, and he's lasted only three and two thirds in both starts.
1: Yeah, he's gotten hitting hit around um a good bit recently in ACC <coughs> excuse me, in ACC play. Um doesn't walk many kids I don't think you think he for the most part um pounds of strike zone. Uh, I mean, he's a guy that gives up some contact. Uh only 58 Ks in in 62 innings is a good mark, but not great Not what you see sometimes from weekend starters in ACC um fastball, slider, changeup mix. I believe changeup is also his best pitch. Uh, change up around, you know, high, high, high seventies to low eighties, uh, fastball, I believe sits in the low nineties. Um, not what you would, I mean, it's not the most power arm for a freshman that you would expect on a weekend, but he's been, just been super consistent for them for the most part this year. Um, you know, at one point, I think his season era era was below the two into twos and, um, Virginia tech and Georgia tech both got him on the road. Like you mentioned, um, He's only gone 3.2 innings in each of his last two road starts. Uh, gave up five earned runs to Georgia Tech and eight earned runs to Virginia Tech. Obviously, those are two really good lineups, but it is an interesting trend to pay attention to. Um, did give up seven hits last week to North Dakota State, but didn't give up any runs. Um, the last three ACC starts has given up a home run in each of them. Um, so uh, I think Florida State could have you know a pretty even matchup. Uh, You know, obviously, I think it's a good matchup with Parker on the mound any day. But, um, you know, I do like this pitching matchup on Saturday for Florida State as well. I think it'll match up for them to be a pretty even and close game.
0: I think it's going to be really important for Florida State to win Friday night, because I think if you do that, the odds of you splitting the next two days are pretty high. Right. With with what miami's gonna throw and and what florida state can throw so uh, i like to think that that series opener will be massive sundays have been a bit of an adventure for the hurricanes uh where florida state will go with bryce hubbard and, and you feel really strong about what bryce brings to the table they've gone with i believe rosario on sundays um alejandro rosario 715 era 45 innings 64 hits 20 walks, just 37 strikeouts. Batters are hitting 339 against Rosario. And he's been around the league a couple of years. Florida State's actually very familiar with him. They've had some success against Rosario um, in his career in Miami. I believe FSU shelled him last year down in Coral Gables. Um, he was one of the starters. But he's been a, he's been a bit of an enigma where when he came in, he was one of the top freshman arms to get to campus. His fastball is live, you know, 95, 96, and it has incredible movement on it. And he's got good secondary stuff. He has just had such big command issues at times with his secondary stuff that his fastball just gets hit, hit all over the place. And uh, that's been happening to him a couple times. And he, he started pretty well against North Dakota State, but that's North Dakota State. Other than that, he's been uh, not great for them. And, and uh, talking to some Miami fans and some of their media guys, Sunday, that third starter for Miami is still up for grabs, especially the way I believe Jake Garland has pitched for them on the midweeks. Garland has been really good with like a 295 ERA and and a dominant midweek starter. Um, But that could be something they change. I don't know if they'll do it this weekend. Certainly we don't have, we haven't gotten the game notes yet um, from Florida State or Miami. And so that could be this weekend where they make that change. Um, But for the most part, it's been Rosario uh, on Sundays.
1: Yeah, so I'm a bit surprised that Rosario still is their Sunday guy, especially with the way some other arms are thrown for them. But it's also understandable just with the raw stuff that he possesses. Um, You know, he wasn't as highly touted touted as he was for no reason. Uh, The stuff still is really good. It's just he becomes very hittable at times, like you mentioned, when he becomes one-dimensional because struggles to get in the zone with some pitches and has to rely pretty solely on the fastball um you know last year fsu did crush him in 1.1 one one innings i think he started the friday game fsu had seven hits and eight runs off of him uh he also walked two guys has struggled with command for the most part in his college career and hasn't struck out as many batters as people thought he would either um last year 520 or era this year 715 um giving up 64 hits this year in 45 innings um so, I mean, that shows you kind of how much of a struggle. He's, he's had to get batters down. He's only had 37 strikeouts, um, 20 walks. I mean, he's struggled across the board this year. Um, but, I mean, it, at any point in time, he could come out with really good stuff and and shut down your offense if he's having an on day. So, with him, you really need to get to him early, I think. Now, you can't let him settle in and and get going with his stuff, especially with the hard fastball and, and slider mix that he has. Um you know, if you get to them early, you have to feel good about what you can do on Sundays. Uh, it was good to see FSU play the way they did last Sunday for the first time in a long time. Um, so hopefully they, they can kind of build off of that last week, especially if Hubbard is Hubbard is back there on Sundays. Don't know that for sure. But, um, you know, I think we expect that to be the same this week.
0: Yeah, and I think Rosario, too, is going to pitch with a chip on his shoulder. He has no love lost for Florida State, and that's another angle, I think, Brett, coming into this weekend. Miami, I think, will play with a lot of energy, and not just because it's Florida State-Miami, not because it's the best college baseball rivalry in the sport, which it is, and Hauser is going to be freaking electric this weekend. I cannot wait for FSU-Miami, and Brett, I'm excited for you to get to kind of cover of Florida State-Miami in a non-COVID capacity-limited crowd because it is special. It is one of the weekends that you circle on your calendar every year, and it's going to be a lot of fun. But Miami got swept by Florida State last year four times, right? In the, in the regular season, the Noles went down there, and none of the three games were competitive. And in the ACC tournament, Florida State got a, a big win, and it might have been the, the win that helped kind of solidify their spot in a regional uh, last year and with the way that they were playing. So, um, man, I just expect Miami to have an extra chip on their shoulder. They're going to be ready. They'll be desperate. Uh, I think a lot of these kids take things personally. A lot of these kids have played with each other. As you mentioned, Brett, they know each other from the travel ball circuit. Alex Tural played with mm-hmm. pretty much that entire roster last year um, the the kids who aren't freshmen on their, on their roster currently, so many angles make this weekend compelling. I think you're going to have high energy chirping from the dugouts. I, I mean, it's just right. I've been to a couple of Florida State Miami series, you know, growing up in Tallahassee and there have been times where fans have thrown beer onto the field. Miami has stomped on Florida state's Seminole logo, uh, on the FS logo. There have been curfew uh, shenanigans with the coaching staff. There's been pitch stealing. It is, it is everything you want it to be. It is going to be a weekend where I think if you're a Florida state fan in Tallahassee, you make your schedule, uh, around the weekend to be at Hauser. And if you're from out of town, maybe drive up and, and watch the premier college baseball rivalry in the country. But Brett, it's going to be a, a really exciting weekend.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a ton of energy in Hauser. And like you mentioned, Alex, for sure. Uh, Meat mentioned yesterday that he probably would sit down with Alex and, and, you know, have a conversation with him just about keeping his head in the game and still being able to think because you can't play if you can't think because it's a thinking man's game. And he's had to have that conversation with Jordan a couple of times and Jordan has handled it well. Um but, you know, I do think Alex will be the leaders this week. Um, you know, no one knows Miami better than Alex. I mean, and no one knows Alex better than Miami. So it'll be interesting to see how those two go at each other and know um, what the emotions are like for him. Um, you know, I believe he's going to get honored on senior day, which should be pretty good. Um, but, yeah, just looking forward to it. I mean, I, I think both teams, it's big for both teams. Miami is trying to get a national host. FC is trying to be regional host. And, you put that along with what's already there, what's already at stake in this series. Um, it's going to be exciting. It's it's going to test some guys mentally, and um, just looking forward to it. Looking to looking forward to how they respond and how they play in, in a big situation like that. I mean, FSU has been as good as anyone at home this year. I think they're twenty four and seven now
0: at home for this season. I think too. You know, we just spent some time hyping up Miami and and what they'll bring to the table, but Florida State's answered the call multiple times against high profile series, right? Like in Tallahassee, they have stepped up to the plate uh, with no pun intended, but they have done their job, um, especially at Hauser. When we've talked about with this team too, Brett, like they play to the level of their competition at times. And when you've got a, a really highly ranked team, I think the Knowles have stepped up and, and tried to uh, match the intensity and, and they've focused and executed at a much higher level against these said teams. Yeah. I mean, um, If you take away the weekend
1: against Notre Dame, FSU is twenty four and four at home. Um, And
0: truthfully, against Notre Dame, I didn't think FSU played that poorly. No, I just thought I I thought the intensity was phenomenal all the games, and Notre Dame won three extremely tight contests. So, but it's funny though, and it's I think it's a good segue into postseason talk and, and to answer some of these questions because if Florida State, I think even has had won one game against Notre Dame. Your RPI is in a different spot. Your ACC record looks better at 14 and 10. I think the Knowles would be on, on the right side of the bubble to host right now, like going into this weekend. Um, but now they've got their opportunity. RPI of 20, a strength of schedule, I believe of, is it eight at the moment, a top 10 strength of schedule. You've got 13 quality wins against top 50 RPI. Uh, Brett, this is a big weekend for Florida state's regional hopes. And, and let's talk a little bit about what the Noles need to do the rest of the season to have the Tallahassee regional be at Hauser.
1: Yeah. The best thing more than anything is just that the schedule sets up really well the rest of the way. I mean, every game, the rest of the season you play is probably going to be against a quad one team. Um, you know, the seven regular season games, three against Miami, they're a top 10 team in RPI, um, one against Florida, they're 13 right now and 3 against UNC is 28 and that's on the road so that's another quad one opportunity on the road um you know for me I would think you'd have to win what five of those seven games probably to get into a good standing um probably need to win both series um I don't think you have to win the game at Florida I think that would be a huge boost and help you out a lot and maybe you know depending on what you do against Miami maybe make that weekend at UNC a lot more give you a lot more leverage there. Um, But you also got to feel like whoever you play in the ACC tournament is probably going to be a quad one because ACC is so good this year and feels like everybody outside of BC and, you know, one or two other teams is is in a top 50 kind of spot. I mean, Clemson, since we've left Clemson has moved up a ton and they're a quad one team too. Um, So I just feel like the schedule sets up well, you just have to go out and execute on it for the most part.
0: Yeah. I look at some of the teams that we're battling against for a regional spot and I would say, you know, five ACC teams will probably host this year. I would be very surprised if a sixth ACC team, even if deserving, got a regional host because they do like to spread things out amongst different regions in the country. And that's why sometimes you see a West coast team or a Northeast team get a regional spot because they've had an outstanding season. And, even though their RPI metrics might not be as good as an ACC or SEC team, the, the committee decides that, hey, we want to try and reward some of these other regions in the country who have had teams have great seasons. So I think five is a magic number for the ACC this year. And if you're Florida State, I think um, you're not really competing with Miami or Virginia Tech or even Notre Dame for a regional spot. They're pretty locked up. It's more of the Louisville, Virginia, and I think like – NC State and Florida State are probably battling for for that final regional host spot. So you're rooting against Virginia and NC State, I think the rest of the year. Um, actually, I think North Carolina's probably started to trend into the conversation too. So you have a chance that weekend in Chapel Hill to kind of silence their chances. Um, but yeah, Brett, I mean your numbers are good. You have a, a good RPI, a good strength of schedule, a lot of quality wins a good non-conference strength of schedule meet did that on purpose to make sure that that was advantageous. I'm with you. I think if FSU wins two out of three against Miami and North Carolina, that puts you at 17 ACC wins, right? 17 and 13 an RPI that will probably at that point be in the top 15, a strength of schedule that will be in the top five. And you're pushing towards 20 quality wins on the season. I don't want to say lock. I don't want to make a definitive statement. I just think you feel better than really good about a regional in Tallahassee. If the Noles do that, especially if you go to the ACC tournament after that and you win a game, I think you're doing, you're doing just fine. So it's a lot to ask though, isn't it? I mean, we're, <laughs> we basically just laid out, uh, an FSU team that needs mm. to finish the season extremely strong.
1: Here's the thing, though. At the end of the day, I think like with no context and like everything that's gone on this season, if you if you had told me at the start of the year that at this point we'd have number eight strength of schedule and being 30, 30 and 17 on the year and 13 and 11 in ACC play, I think you probably take that. You know, I think it sets you up well. Um, you know, it sets you up in a spot where you can go capitalize um, and you still have a chance to host, which is all you can really ask for at the end of the day. Um, I think the team for me that I look at the most is is Louisville just because of who they have coming up on their schedule. Um, You know, I know they're 15, eight and one in ACC, um, but they play, they play Virginia and Virginia Tech on this road home. um, Their last two series are both at home. um, But those are two of the best teams in the ACC right now. And having given mostly everyone struggles this year, um, you know, obviously both those teams will help Louisville's RPI, but, at the end of the day, FSU's RPI is going to go up just from who they play the rest of the season, and FSU already has that head head to head sweep of Louisville, so I feel like FSU's in a good spot when it comes to Louisville. When it on the kind of that totem pole of, you know, who would be four versus, I mean, who would be five versus who would be six if it comes down to those two teams. Um, but yeah, more so than anything, you just you got to take care of business these next two weekends.
0: I think you know Virginia and Louisville when they play each other. One might knock the other out of regional hosting, and that could be big. I think you're rooting for Virginia to win that series just so that you know you're putting the spotlight on Louisville and Florida State more in terms of closer records in the ACC, RPIs that are more similar, and that way the head to head can play up, so to speak, if that makes sense for Florida State against Louisville. But
1: you're also not completely out of the Atlantic Division race, I don't think. I mean, you're only, I
0: think it's like two and a half games.
1: Yeah, two and a half back of Louisville, one and a half back in Notre Dame. Notre Dame has to go to Miami to finish off the season. Um, So if you can get two series wins, I mean, you're potentially right there with some of those other teams. And, um, you know, obviously we've talked last year about how important that top four is in the ACC tournament. Um, It would be huge if they could grab one of those as well.
0: Right, and those matchups we really don't know yet. And so those could be additional RPI chances for FSU. Um, yeah. So I think the the our final thoughts on that is the Noles have a shot, right? They're right there in the thick of it. They're in the conversation. I would say as of today, they're definitely not a regional host, but you win two out of three against Miami. And I think the projections next week will start to have Florida State on the right side of the bubble. So massive series coming up. And uh, they also play the Florida Gators on Tuesday. And I don't know if Brett and I will do a pod. We might, I think we'll probably do a pod before that one, just because of the the Miami series. You might get a couple instant reacts from us um, this weekend, depending on, on how the series goes. But Brett, let's answer some questions. What do you think? We'll wrap sure. it up that way. Um, all right. So let's talk about, someone asked about the regionals. I think we've talked about that. If we don't host... Where do you think we would be sent and where would you want to avoid? Um,
1: well, I know George has been mentioned a lot. I mean, I feel like you're going to be in the Southeast no matter what.
0: Um, maybe SEC schools. Yeah. They love putting FSU at an SEC school and vice versa, right? Like when FSU hosts an SEC schools, like your two seed usually.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't think Florida is going to host. So I don't think Florida is going to be a spot. Um, I really wouldn't mind going there, but, um, yeah, I think Georgia and Auburn would be the two places right now for me. Um, I don't think they would send FSU to one of the smaller schools like uh Southern Miss or Georgia Southern. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's many other places that I would really even, I think those are kind of the only two places right now. I don't think they would send us to Tennessee and Holy hell. I hope they don't send us to Tennessee. That would be brutal. Yeah, that would be brutal. I don't think they're going to send you to, you know, somewhere far. I mean, I don't think they're going to send you to a Texas school or anything like that. Um, I could see in Auburn.
0: I think that that plays, you know, if Southern Miss hosts ends up hosting, I could see them. Um, Yeah, I think it's an SEC school, Georgia. They've done it. And, you know, based on what the committee has done in the past, Brett, they're not um, very creative, if that makes sense. Like they're not the type of <laughs> they're not the type to send you to places you haven't been before or anything like that. They don't think of it that way. a lot of times it's uh how efficiently can I budget this travel cost for said team can they bus to this place and so that's why it plays the way that it does but
1: I mean outside of Tennessee, I don't feel like there's any team that's really like you feel like they're not beatable this year. I feel like every other team is just there's not many teams that are completely complete like there's just a lot of teams where you feel like you would at least go there and have a chance. I mean, Auburn and Georgia, both those places, I don't think they scare you a whole lot. I think you no, feel like you would have a good chance to be competitive in both those spots.
0: I agree. It'll be pretty funny, by the way, if Florida's the two seed in Coral Gables. They do that all the time. And sure. that that will be – Miami fans will not like that at all. Um, all right, so we've added some questions about the portal and the offseason. Brett, you're the guru on this stuff. Um, what holes do you see FSU trying to fill with the portal this off season, and do you think we will have a couple of different players transferring out?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's obviously going to be a lot of transfers now. And I think, I mean, that hope happens basically every year here now, um, and especially even more. So, I mean, there's just a lot of guys that don't even. I mean, guys that don't travel, I'm guessing, are going to enter the portal for the most part, except for a couple freshmen. Um, I mean, you're going to lose kids from last year's class. You're going to lose kids from other's classes too. Um, places where I think they might go for portal, um, maybe third base, maybe first base, both corners potentially. Um, you know, I think they like some of the bats they have coming in from the recruiting class. Um, I don't think outfield will be a spot that they, they look very hard. I think they've, feel like they like their outfield and and the future of their outfield, especially with some of the recruiting classes coming and the freshmen they have this year. Um, you know, I wouldn't mind if they went out and got a relief arm or two, especially from the right side after you're going to lose Jonah and Davis. Um, you know, you have young arms, but you don't have, you're not going to have many experienced bullpen arms from the right side, especially. Um, and you have to feel like Ballmeister it, it is probably going to move to you know a rotation spot. Maybe Whitaker does too. Um, so I feel like that might be another spot. You also are going to have you know, hopefully Kirkland come back from injury next year. Uh, you know I don't know exactly when they expect Joe Charles to be ready, but I wouldn't count on that next year after he had Tommy John this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just going to be a lot of movement. That's just how it's going to be in college baseball now. And I mean, that's just how it's been for FSU the last few years. And that's why, you know, they have a lot of these struggles in the lineup. You know, I think in the last, you know, from 2017 class to the 2020 class, FSU brought in 29 hitters from the high school ranks and only 24 of those guys. I mean, and 24 of those guys have transferred or been cut or don't play baseball or a pitcher now. I mean, three of those guys were drafted. Um, the rest of them, though, I mean, Reese is still here and Tyler's still here. Um, and then you got a couple of kids that just don't really play for you much. Um, that stuff needs to get better moving forward. You can't have this at some point you got to start developing kids because um, you're either not bringing in kids that are right for you or you're not developing kids. It's one or the other. Um, and, you know, these recruiting classes are 100 percent going to get better because of Mike Metcalf. Uh, first one, he really has his hand on for the whole part is, is 2022. Uh, First real one is 2023, 2024. Um, So talent's going to get better moving forward, but you're still going to have some spots in this off season where you need to make up for deficiencies in past recruiting classes. Um, So yeah, I expect them to go at the portal again this, this summer for a couple
0: guys. Catcher Colton Vincent next year. I think he's a redshirt junior. Feel pretty good about, I think, um, Jaime, I think him and Jaime will battle it out.
1: I actually think Jaime will stick in right field. Okay. Um, I think the guys there will be Baz, Jimenez, Santiago, or Doñez, who's coming in catcher. of Carlson's also coming in. Um, and then Colton still will be there as well. Um, you know, I still really believe that Baz can be an everyday starting catcher in the ACC. Um, he's just got to get his arm 100%. I wouldn't, I really wanted to see him one game this year, maybe just give him a chance. Um, You know, I really like what Baz can do at the plate. I like what he can do behind the plate, um, receiving wise. I think he has, you know, the perfect frame for it and can handle our staff. Um, You know, I don't, I don't think they're going to hammer the portal for a catcher just because, you know, they're also bringing in two catchers from the class and then they're bringing in two catchers in the following class as well. Um, And it's a, it's a position that they've done a good job of recruiting. They just need to, get some more luck there. Um, they didn't have much luck there recently with, you know, the recruit they had coming in, went in Juco, Baz got hurt. Jaime wasn't ready behind the plate. Um, so yeah, we'll see moving forward, but I don't, I'm not totally sold that they'll go into the portal for that position this summer.
0: Um, who can be trusted in your opinion in high leverage situations besides Wyatt Crowell?
1: I still trust Connor Whitaker. Um, you know, at least in the middle of games, because you know I don't think Seewitt is a back end of the type of guy. That's just not where his stuff plays. He can do it, but it's not. I don't think that 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 role fits him best. Um, you know, I still think Davis can get guys down. He just needs to be put in the right spots. I really think Davis is a is a reverse split guy that is much better against left handed hitters than right handed hitters. Um, playing the splitter off of guys' front hips and then. You know the the splitter is just unhittable against lefties when he's got it going right. Um, sometimes his stuff can play into right-handers' bats. I feel like, um, you know, outside of that, it, it is tough though. I mean, you have to you have to get more out of of some guys. You know, like Jackson Baumeister. Maybe you start throwing him back there in, in the back end more. Maybe Ross Dunn at some point. But like we mentioned, you can't really trust him right now. Um, this is just another reason why. You know, we wish because, you know, you could trust Jonah and to give you three to four innings to start a game. But can you trust him to go the last couple of innings to close out a game? I don't know, but it's kind of the reverse thing with Carson Montgomery. So it's, you know, I know I don't want to beat a dead horse or anything like that, but that's just just feels like that would be the most, you know, where you
0: get your most value out, out of both guys. All right, final one that I'll pose to you, see, on Twitter here. Um, It seems like Tibbs is still platooning. Why is he not in the everyday lineup?
1: I believe James, last time I checked, is one for 20 against lefties this year. Um, You know, I know, you know, James is going to impact the game when he's in there. Um, His bat's that good, but, you know, they feel, I believe they feel like they can get, more out of some other guys for the first four or five innings of a game, say an AJ Shaver, Trayton right Rank, uh, you know, uh an Isaiah Perry. They just feel like those guys might have better matchups to start off games. And they can bring in, they can pick their spot with James if they want to off the bench and get him a couple at bats at the end of the game. Um so once again, I just think it's it's a value thing where they feel like they can get the most value out of out of one guy against this pitcher and then Get, you know, the maximum value out of out of out of James and, and another spot, in spot that fits him better. Um, you know, I'm not I don't know for sure if we'll see him Friday against against Palmquist. Um maybe. Um I think I would guess going into that that they platoon it again um with a Perry or a Shaver or a rank. Um but we'll just have to see. I just it's just, you know, he's he has struggled against lefties this year, James has, but at some point he's got to face them to develop in that role because you know, he's, he's, he's going to need to be an everyday hitter next year um, as a sophomore. Um, but, you know, right now it's just about finding the best fit every day um in every everyday lineup.
0: All right. Well, Brett, uh, seven o'clock Friday, seven o'clock Saturday and noon on Sunday, ACC network extra on Friday, Saturday You've got it on ACC Network, and then Sunday you have it on ESPN. Two big weekend for Florida State against the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, we are on Spotify. We are on Apple Pods, and we appreciate the reviews and and to those of you that have been supporting this podcast since day one. And we're closing in on thirty thousand listens, Brett, which is uh, incredible. And and honestly, that a thank you to every one of you guys who have shared the pod with your friends and uh, listening to it on your way to work or. Uh, just hanging out at your house and, and you wanted to listen to some conversation about FSU baseball. I don't think Brett, we thought this pod would do as well as it has not to say that we weren't excited to start it, but this has uh, gone above and beyond our wildest imaginations. So uh, very grateful for the fan base and, and to those who have been listening to this. Um, I was giving you a chance to say thank you too.
1: Sorry. You just kind of I'm stared at me here on the zoom. I thought you were ending it. Thank no, you. not thank like you. that. Thank you.
0: I was trying. Yeah, I was trying to give you your award ceremony speech, but no. Yeah, it was. Thank
1: you, everyone. Thank you to my mom and dad. Thanks. And don't make fun of Jada Smith,
0: because uh, you never know what you never know what might happen, right, Will Smith? Anyway, uh, until we talk next week for Brett Nevitt, Amaria i Masudi. You've been listening to Sunday Golds, and we will chat with you soon.